Amen. You may be seated. Boy, I enjoyed Brother Keith this morning. Amen. And enjoyed those messages, both Sunday school and Sunday morning message. I love to hear some of these young guys preach and just see what God's laid on their hearts. And, uh, you know, when I sit down and talk to them and I realize I could be their dad, that's when I have a tough time. So <laughs> and when I talk about these young guys and uh, realize I'm old enough to be Keith's father. And uh, in here, 2 Timothy chapter 2, just such a wonderful book. And Paul just speaking to Timothy about a number of things. And uh, we were dealing last week with the foundation of the home. And Paul really jumps quite a bit because he moves from that which is foundational and he jumps inside the house, he starts talking about utensils that are being used in the house. And so we take a huge leap. And so as we look at this, this is really uh, about the subject matter of sanctification. And sanctification is a process that begins from the time of salvation, and it's God helping us to be set apart or be used for him. And if you look at the very passage where he says to be meet for the master's use and prepare them to every good work and has that idea of being set apart for God's use. And so uh, that's really what he's talking about here in this process of sanctification. So Paul moves from the foundation of the house to the utensils of the house, and he refers to the vessels. And when he does, he talks about vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And uh, a lot of times, and I've heard messages preached out of this, and generally, you know, men want to talk about saved and unsaved. That's not what Paul's talking about here at all. He's not talking about the difference between the saved and the unsaved here at all. In fact, what we see here, uh, it's more to the point about the true teachers of the gospel and the false teachers of the gospel. And so he's dealing with that subject matter of who's being truthful with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then Timothy is being warned by Paul to avoid getting involved in false teachings and uh, being involved with false teachers. And the interesting thing about Timothy's name, and a lot of folks don't know this, when you read the name Timothy, it's actually two Greek words, but when they're combined, it means this, God-honoring. And so it's kind of an interesting thought that Paul is really talking to Timothy about being God-honoring. And so those two Greek words making up this word and, and, and what he's telling Timothy and what he's encouraging him to do really is live up to your name. Live up to your name. Be a God-honoring young man. And uh, as a Christian, the desire should be to honor the Lord's name and his work, whether a lay person or a full-time person, employee of the church or whether you're a pastor or a deacon or uh, any area of service, I think we ought to have that desire in our heart to really honor the Lord's name. I know when I was growing up, it was important to my dad that we would honor his name. And he didn't want a tainted name in the community. He did not want the last name that we carried around to be tainted for any reason. And, and so he would do everything he could to encourage us to keep a, a pure name in the community. And, and what I'm sharing with you is, is we ought to want and desire to do that with the Savior's name. Because we do carry the Savior's name. We carry a name called Christian. And I've shared with my boys from a very early age, it doesn't matter what you do for a living, but what you are is a Christian first. And so what you do for a living is just what you do. And so many men, so many people uh, identify uh, who they are by what they do. And, and what I'm trying to teach my sons is just the opposite of that. What you are as a Christian first, what you do for a living is irrelevant almost. But who you are as an individual is so important. And Paul is really impressing this upon Timothy to be that kind of person. And so as I begin to do the review, and I share this with you tonight, when God does a review of your service and your life, would you be a Christian of honor or a Christian of dishonor? What kind of Christian would you be? And this isn't talking about the saved or the unsaved. It's talking about the Christians that are there 
and he's dealing with some false teachings and, and the true teachings of what God desired. So being a Christian of honor is one that's available for the master's use, ready for every good work is what the Bible teaches us. And so there's kind of three parts to this that I want to look at. And an honorable Christian is ready for the master's use. One of the things that I think we ought to do when we come into the house of the Lord is we ought to be prepared. We ought to be prepared when we come to the house of the Lord. I think sometimes we're not prepared even to come into the house of the Lord. And then we have expectations when we get there that something's going to occur, but yet we have not prepared ourselves. And I think God wants prepared servants. <laughs> he's looking for prepared hearts. And so he's looking for that. The second thing is this. One of the things that he points out to Timothy is the importance of to call on the Lord out of a pure heart. To, to have a pure heart. So being a prepared servant and having a pure heart are two things that Paul's talking to Timothy about. Part of being a God-honoring servant or a God-honoring Christian is that you're a prepared servant, but you're also one that is really uh, dealing and talking and sharing out of a pure heart your relationship with God. And so people see that, and it's active in your life. And the third thing is this. This is hard for a lot of us. Paul flat out told him, listen, avoid foolishness. Just avoid it. Stay away from it. And he specifically spoke to a particular area. And one of those areas is unlearned questions. <laughs> and so, you know, I'll get into that in just a moment about what he's speaking of there. But the fact is, is that we need to avoid some foolish conversations. And sometimes we can get ourselves wrapped up into some foolish conversations. So prepared servants. So the foundation of the house is built on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sure foundation and a seal of God's approval is on us. Uh, his servants, but Paul moves to the interior of the home and he brings it to a level of the usefulness of the items found within the home. So the description of the two types of vessels is one that's honorable and one that's dishonorable. And, and, and here's the idea. A prepared servant first builds on that sure foundation, which is Christ Jesus. And then secondly, we should have a desire to be an honorable servant of Christ. And so we build upon that foundation. So that foundation is Christ Jesus and when we use all that we have in us, we're an honorable servant. We're putting him first. Now, how many of you have ever seen some crown jewels? Anybody ever seen some crown jewels? Maybe you've just seen photos of them or whatever. I mean, it's stunning to look at crown jewels. And Jesus Christ is our crown jewel. And he ought to be prevalent in everything that we do. We ought to want to put him on display. And Paul is saying, if I'm going to be an honorable type of Christian, I'm going to put Jesus Christ on display and not myself. Amen? And when you look at this, that prepared servant uses the proper resources for the service to the Lord. So what is our proper resources? What are we using to serve God? Are we just using our own intuition, our own abilities, what we think? Or are we turning that over and saying, God, what is your thought? What do you think I ought to do? And what should I use? And how should I use it? And God wants to take those utensils. He wants to use it. And in other words, the proper foundation that is sealed, which indicates ownership of God, and the utensils of various kinds are now used for performing these functions in the house of God to serve the Lord. And so what kind of servant am I? And he speaks here in this verse, he said, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. So what kind of a servant am I? Well, a prepared servant is going to be a servant of honor. He's going to have his heart prepared. He's going to have his mind prepared. He's going to have his finances prepared. He's going to have thoughts prepared. As he comes into the house of the Lord, he's going to be a prepared servant, ready to serve God with all of the resources that God has provided him. And his desire is to be that honorable servant. 
I thought about this. Uh, the distinction between the vessels is not between different kinds of Christians, but rather distinguishing true teachers and, uh, of the word and false teachers. And, and you know, folks, just because we're in an independent fundamental Baptist church or you go to an independent fundamental Baptist church does not mean that that pastor or those people are really handling the word of God correctly. And we need to be alert listeners. Now, we can listen and not be alert. How many of you realize you can do that? How many of you realize you can sit there and not be alert, but you're listening? Now, what is that? That's called white noise, isn't it? How many of you have the TV on, but you can be functioning and doing something else, and it's in the background? Or you got the radio on, and it's going, but you're doing something else, right? It's just in the background. And what it is is that God's uh, word ought not be white noise to us, amen? It ought to be something that, that, that's in front of us, and, and we're listening to and paying attention to it. One of the things is, is when you're in the house of the Lord and the preaching of the Word of God is going on, if you are allowing yourself to check out, how do you know whether that man said anything that's God-honoring or God-dishonoring? <laughs> and, and, and you check out. You're not really giving your mind over to what's being said. And I thought about the faithful pastor. The faithful pastor will display the most beautiful and honorable utensil that he has because it's Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's not that man standing at that pulpit. It is Christ Jesus. He's the one that should be on display. He's the one that should be in the forefront. And I, I share with you seeing those crown jewels, and I ask you, have you ever seen those? It's overwhelming beauty. I mean, I see them. I'm telling you, uh, if, if we go into the pawn stores, and we do this every once in a while because you can buy cheaper gifts better there, and, uh, or better ch ch gifts cheaper is a better way of saying it, right? And better gifts cheaper. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. So, but, you know, my, my wife and my two girls, Elise and Emily and Anita, as soon as the door opens, because you have to push the buzzer, we hear the cash playing all the time. As soon as you push the buzzer, and it goes, and it's sort of like this. It's like a magnet. It's like, diamonds, jewels. We got to go. I mean, and it's like they can't go anywhere else in the store, you know. And I'm going, hey, they got any bows and arrows? And Connor's like looking for guitars all the time. And you know what I mean? But, I mean, when you see beautiful jewels, ladies, am I right? It's something to behold, isn't it? You look at it and say, man, it's beautiful. And it is. Jesus Christ ought to be that jewel. He ought to be something to behold, shouldn't he? <laughs> when we see him, we ought to think that way. I believe pastors have that responsibility. This is also the kind of beauty that the Lord gives to the honorable and the prepared servant who faithfully handles the word of God. I believe a man who takes the word of God and truly handles it, I think it's like a crown jewel to our Savior. <laughs> It's one of those things that he sees, and, and this man so desires to really handle the Word of God properly. Because there are a lot of people who mishandle the Word of God, and there are a lot of them out there. And I, I, I'm going to publicly say this. If you're listening to Joel Olstein, you need to stop it. I heard him say something the other day that is just so anti-biblical, I cannot believe my mind. And the thing of it is, he said something publicly that I cannot even wrap my hands around. And the reason I'm denouncing him publicly is because what he did publicly was just a sham to Christianity. And what he said was, is that if, if someone, if, if, a, if a man who's in poverty, a man who is broken, a man who is like that, he, he, he is no kind of a father to his children. <laughs> and he deserves to be in that position. But those of you that have money, and those of you that have those great jobs, and those of you, God loves you. That man's insane, folks. That's insanity. And he said that publicly. 
And what I'm sharing with you is, no, it wasn't taken out of context. I listened to it. And that man is a sham. And if we're listening to him thinking that he's leading people to Christ, he's leading people away from Christ, he's leading people to himself. And if you're buying his books and listening to him on the television and all that kind of stuff, you need to knock it off. Guy's a sham and a half. And the thing of it is, is that that's the kind of stuff out there that they want to put themselves on display rather than the Heavenly Father, amen? Because God only gives to those that are wealthy, is that right? God only does for those that have much, <laughs> That's a, that's a foolish thought, isn't it? Because I started thinking, boy, if I had a chance to talk to him face to face, I'd ask him, what about Lazarus? Huh? He was as poor as could be. He was eating the crumbs from the table. And, and the fact is, is God took care of him. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, is that that man wants to be on display. He wants to be the crown jewel. <laughs> we need to change our thinking a little bit. You need to be careful about the stuff you're listening to and who you're listening to. And we need to handle the Word of God truthfully. Now, there are those false teachers out there. And, and, and I began to think, you know what false teachers are to me? <laughs> false teachers are like when you go to a picnic. When you go to a picnic, ladies, do you take your best china? Huh? When you're heading off to the mountains, do you say, let me get my best silver out? And let me get my best fine bone china out, and I'm going to take that up to the mountains because we're about to have a picnic up here. <laughs> Do you know what false teachers are to me? They're the plasticware. How many of you have seen the stuff that almost looks like silverware? Anybody ever see it? That's what they are. And once you pick it up, you go, that's not real. <laughs> that's not silverware. That's a piece of plastic. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of pieces of plastics out there behind the pulpits today. And what we need is the real truth of the Word of God being taught and preached to us. As I think about this, he tells us about uh, wood and clay are not the choice to display. They're not the things that you want to put on display. Now, if you are having a dinner party, ladies, and you're inviting maybe your family over, and, and it's a big to-do, maybe this Christmas dinner or whatever, and, and you're really trying to put on a show, and what are you going to do? You're going to put out your best. Now, some of you uh, say, well, my best is plastic utensils, preacher. <laughs> But the fact is, is that you want to do your very best, is what I'm driving at. You want to do your very best, don't you? You want to put what's your best out there. And, and here's the thing, wood and clay will not survive the test of time. No matter how popular they might be today, it's not going to stand the test of time. It's just not. What happens to clay if you drop it? <laughs> Especially after it's been fired, what's going to happen to it? It's going to bust up, isn't it? If fire touches wood, what's going to happen to the wood? <laughs> it's going to burn up, isn't it? But, you know, you think about them crown jewels. You think about that silver, and you say, well, it'll melt, but it's not going to cease to be silver. You burn a wooden spoon, what's it cease to be? A spoon and wood. It becomes ashes, right? And the thing of it is, is that what needs to be on display in our lives and in our church and in our lives ought to be Christ Jesus. And he's trying to get Timothy to that place. Paul is saying, hey, listen, Timothy, God-honoring, what you want to do is you want to avoid those false teachers, and you want to put on display what's best. What's best is the Word of God, folks. <laughs> what's best is Jesus Christ. Paul told Timothy, he said, hey, purge, clean thoroughly, and do away with or get rid of any false teachings, and, and for doing so, you'll be crowned. Uh, you'll be a crown jewel, Tim. You'll be what God desires you to be. Now, think about this. By using the best and true teachings, you become what is set apart, profitable. You become set apart. You become useful for, to the master. And I, I thought about this. 
you've made yourself ready to be used of God. Think about this for just a minute. Revelation 19.7, the Bible says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now listen to this. And his wife has made herself ready. Now, how many of you have been to a wedding? How many of you have been to, like, a big church wedding? Anybody in here? Go to them big church weddings, right? I'm going to tell you what, that bride is made up to do, isn't she? I mean, you see, that bride has made herself what, folks? She made herself ready, didn't she? And she walks down that aisle, and then it might be scary for the guy afterwards when she takes all the makeup off, I don't know. But, but the thing of it is, is that she walks down that aisle, she's made up, isn't she? I mean, you go to these things, and she has made herself ready, prepared to meet the one that she is supposedly today going to spend her life with, right? When Jesus comes, have you made yourself ready? Are you prepared to meet the one we're going to spend eternity with? The bridegroom's coming, amen? amen? Has the bride made herself ready? Well, you know that's us, being prepared and ready for the master's use. Be a Christian of honor. Be prepared to serve the Lord. Have compassion for a clean spirit in your service to the Lord. I want you to look at verse 22 here. He says this, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, a pure heart is so important. There's two specific actions that we are to take according to Paul's challenge to Timothy. One, he tells us to flee something. I try to talk to my children about this on a regular basis. There's some things you ought to flee. He says, flee also youthful lust. And, and to flee is to run away with or to run a, a, a away from or to escape juvenile immoral cravings, covetings, and sinful desires. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And he's telling him here, this in particular, he's saying you need to put away youthful lust. You need to flee from it. In other words, you need to elude it and run away. Stay away from that kind of thing. In Galatians 5, 16 and 17, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how do I avoid being in the flesh? I have to walk in the spirit. How am I going to walk in the spirit? Well, I have to have a pure heart. How do I get that pure heart? Well, I'm a prepared servant. How does a prepared servant do this? He builds upon the foundation of Christ, and he puts the right things into his life and uses the proper resources. That's how it happens. It's what Paul's telling him. Follow. He says, flee this, but notice, he doesn't tell us what to get away from, just what to get away from, but he says, but do something. He said, follow. Now, what are we supposed to follow? And you think about this word follow, it's to strive and pressing on to a goal. And here it has the idea of doing it with some intensity, that I'm really going after this. So Paul's telling him, hey, stay away from this stuff. Really get away from that, that youthful lust. But here's some things, man, you ought to really be going after with some level of intensity. Now, have you ever seen somebody really intense, I mean really working, going at something? <laughs> you know, you, you watch that look on their face and and the actions of the body, and I mean, they're really going for it. And, and you know, you can watch a, a football game, and you watch that guy running down that sideline, and when he catches that ball, watch how he runs with fervency and with intensity toward that goal line, isn't it? 
And I mean, you see them tuck that thing up under their arm. And I mean, they're just running so hard and so fast. And they're doing it with some level of intensity, right? Watching a golf game today a little bit too as well. When I was watching golf today, they've got fathers and sons and fathers and daughters playing and stuff. But you watch those guys when they're getting ready to putt. You know, they go over and what do they do? They look around the hole and they walk around this way and they walk around that way, right? And they come over and, and they kind of swing the putter back and forth a couple times. They'll step away. They'll kneel down. They'll look. What are they doing? There's a level of intensity in what they're about to do, isn't there? They have a goal in mind. They want to put that little ball in that little hole from that distance. And they're looking as hard as they can to figure this thing out. And they're doing it with some level of intensity. And I just want to challenge you in your heart. At what level of intensity are we going after Christ? You know, Paul said in Philippians 3.14, he said, I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark. He said, I'm going to do this with a level of intensity in my life. I'm going to go after Christ. And he says, I press toward the mark for the uh, rise of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm going after the goal, and I'm doing it with a level of intensity. How many of us follow after Christ that way? And so he says, Tim, flee this, but follow this. So what does he follow? He said, well, there, in addition to following, in addition to pressing toward that goal with that level of intensity, let me tell you what you need to go after. You need to go after righteousness. He gives him a list of things. And he said, righteousness. You know, when you think about righteousness, that's the act of doing what is right according to God's standard. <laughs> Not according to my standards. It's doing what is right according to God's standards. The Bible says this in Romans 6, 17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, that ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness the servants of righteousness and what does he tell us go after this with some level of intensity go after the right things go after god's standards tim and then he tells him this not after go after god's standards but go after faith this way he said righteousness and then faith faith and and you think about faith action based on trust in a relationship with jesus christ i'm going to act upon it based on my trust in him. I'm going to do what Christ has called me to do. And I'm going to do it with a level of intensity. I'm going to go after this thing. I'm going to do it according to God's standards. And I'm going to do it based upon my relationship that I have in Christ Jesus. I'm going to do this by faith. In 1711 of Acts, he says, or 1124 of Acts, he said, but God, be, or uh, uh, um, Barnabas, he's speaking of, he said, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost. And of faith. Now listen to this. <laughs> and much people was added unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost. And there was much people added to the Lord because of his faith. I think Barnabas followed God in faith with some level of intensity. The other thing is this, charity. And I began to think about charity, and you think about this, this is an act of love. It's not just saying, I love you, it's an act of love, and I shared this many times, if I just tell Anita I love her and never spend any time with her, never do anything with her, never go anywhere with her, never, never really display any action toward that, what kind of love is that? There's no action in it. 
And the thing of it is, is this is an act of love, and it's an act of love that God has for his people, and that God's people ought to have for God. When he talks about this word charity here in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and 16, 14, and he says, and now about in faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. It's kind of love that we ought to have for one another. And, and God's saying in the scriptures to Timothy, hey, go after this with some level of intensity, Tim. <laughs> go after it and, and go after what, what, what is so meaningful here. He said, let all your things be done with charity, he tells us in 16, 14. Then he tells us in Colossians 3, 14, that above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. He said, man, Tim, if there's any one thing you're going to do, I want you to go after God's righteousness. I want you to go after faith. I want you to go after charity. And listen, do it with intensity. Do it with all your might, Tim. Go after these things. And lastly, he says this. He uses the term peace here. You know, when you think about peace, it's, it's the idea of emphasizing a lack of strife and a focus on reconciliation. And so that it's a lack of strife. You're not trying to create problems you're trying to do this and he says go after this with intensity in 5 9 of matthew he said blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the peacemakers now listen to me blessed are the peacemakers when god looks down to your service and your heart would you be considered a peacemaker i didn't say do you carry a peacemaker <laughs> it says does he see you as a peacemaker what does God see you as? And when you look at this, he tells us this is the idea of reconciling. And, and he says this, blessed are the peacemakers. Now listen to this, for they shall be called the children of God. That means you're a part of his family if you're a peacemaker. <laughs> now, Paul's warning is not only for the immoral, but also the foolish actions and behavior of people. And he challenges us to avoid temptations by getting away from that which tempts us. So often we're tempted because we're putting ourselves in a place of temptation. We're placing ourselves in that environment and then saying, Lord, keep me from temptation. And we put ourselves in that environment at times. And he's telling Timothy, avoid that. Paul encourages us to seek and, and keep company with spiritual people. Look at what it says here. He says, flee also youthful lust, but follow. So go after this with intensity, righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. Now notice, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He said, Tim, listen, stay away from this stuff, but then hang with these people. These people that are doing this kind of stuff, those are the folks you want to hang out with, Tim. Those are the folks you want to spend the majority of your time with. Those are the folks that you want to hang out with. The spiritual people, those that maintain an innocent thought life and focus on what is right. Listen, man, we're in a world that is desiring just to destroy us, and they want to draw us in with them. If you think it not so, all you got to do is read Romans chapter 1 and read verses 18 through 32. And not only do they have pleasure in them to do them, listen, they want to draw you into it because they want to see you fall. They want to have you do the same thing. And so the challenge to us is this, is keep company with people that are being spiritual. There's nothing I enjoy more than being around men who are men of God who are actually praying and spending time with the Lord. One of the most impactful men in my life was Gerard Dutoy. Gerard Dutoy was an amazing man. And he, he was born in Germany and lived in South Africa. And, and he learned to pray 
in South Africa. The bushmen who were saved would take him up into a mountain late at night and taught him how to pray. When I met Gerard Toy, when he would preach, man, it would just blow me away just listening to him preach. When he would preach, he was this German guy, and he had this tick. He would, when he'd preach, people said, man, that used to irritate me. It didn't bother me at all. I was listening to what he was saying. And so many times we get so distracted with some little nonsensical thing that we can't even hear the truth of the Word of God. And reality is, is this man would pray. And I asked him if he'd go to lunch with me one day, and he goes, you're just going to have to come and knock on the door. I said, okay. He goes, because I'll, I'll get in prayer. And he said, I'll stay in prayer two, three, four hours. I won't even get up. This man prayed. He spent some time with God. And listen to me. I wanted to keep company with him. I wanted to know, how do you pray for two, three hours? What do you pray about for two, three hours? I wanted to sit at the man's feet. And listen, we ought to want to be around people that are spiritual people. We ought to be desiring to be that kind of person and that maybe someday God uses you as one of those crown jewels that are doing that and passing that on to someone else. Amen? And that my life is spent that way. The last thing is this. Keep away from thoughtlessness and stupidity. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So he told him, he said, hey, listen, there's a great house that you're a part of. You need to have a prepared heart when you come in. Use the right resources, Tim. Hey, listen, hang with some good people. Do it out of a pure heart. There's some things you ought to get away from. And here's what you ought to be doing, Tim. And Tim, let me tell you something else. Avoid foolishness. And when you look at this, he said, but foolish and unlearned questions, what's the next word there? Avoid. Avoid them, knowing that they do gender, what does it say? Causes problems, doesn't it? So when you look at this, we've been taught and trained by many, and they tell you that there are no stupid questions, only stupid answers. I don't believe that. The Bible just told me that's not true. I believe God. How many of you believe God tonight? There's some pretty stupid questions sometimes. I'm sorry. And God said so. And when you look at this, the scriptures teach us that there are some stupid or simple-minded questions that come out of people. And what it is, is it's a tool of distraction of the devil. He'll get you off track onto something that just doesn't matter. How many of you have been posed the question, well, how do you know there's a God? Now, I have an answer. It's in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God. Not hard, is it? Now, the simple-minded sometimes want to take you down the path. How can you prove that? God said so. In the beginning, God, not hard. But there are people who want to argue that point, right? They've made a living off of Darwinism. And the thing of it is, is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he created everything. It's not hard for me. Now, it may be difficult for you to grasp that, but it's not hard for me to grasp that. And I'm not going to stand there and argue with you because you don't believe in God. And the Bible says, the fool that said in their heart, there is no what? Why am I going to argue with you? Until you get saved, there is no connection here. And I'm not going to stand and argue with you over stuff that's foolish. Are there some foolish questions? Yes, the Bible said so. And God said, avoid them. There are those that are easily deceived and persuaded and naive in their thoughts. There are these warnings that come in life, and Paul's using them and saying to Tim, hey, guard yourself against stupidity, Timothy. <laughs> guard yourself against some stupidity. And he goes on, 
And he tells us to avoid is to stay away from something. And we're told to avoid mindless or absurd, stupid or uneducated questions. That's what he's saying. Stay away from that stuff. When you get into arguments with unsaved people, you are wasting your time. And you're wasting God's time. Because if they're not willing to listen to the gospel to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you can't argue with them. Because the, 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 the man who has never been saved cannot, listen to me, cannot, I'll say it one more time, cannot understand the things of God. They cannot understand the things of God. Your Bible says that, not your pastor. Your Bible says that they cannot understand the things of God. So to argue with someone who is a homosexual, that homosexuality is wrong and they are unsaved, you are wasting your time unless they're going to listen to the gospel and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Now we're on the same foundation, aren't we? Avoid stupidity. Avoid it, folks. Don't argue with people that are not saved. You are wasting your time. If you're going to share with them, listen, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, if you want to share that with them, share that with them. If they want to argue who put the moon and the stars in the heavens and how all this happened by a Big Bang Theory and they're unsaved, don't waste your time. Don't waste God's time doing that. This is exactly what Paul's telling you. Don't waste your time. This sounds harsh, but when you're trying to speak to someone about truth of the Word of God and they have never read it, how are you going to speak to them about truth? They have no reference point, folks. This is what Paul's telling him. He said, listen, they don't have any reference point. And sometimes even saved people who've never read the Word of God after they've gotten saved, they've got no reference point. And sometimes they want to get into foolish arguments with you. And, and, and Paul was saying to Timothy, listen, avoid this stuff. And, and, and the reality of it is they want to argue and present foolish and unlearned questions. And Paul just simply said, hey, listen, avoid it. Now, to belabor a point with someone who does not have the facts and they continue in a line of thoughtless or stupid questions, move away from the conversation. Get away from it. Don't stay in the conversation. And, and I've literally, and this has happened to me since I've been here, I've told him, I said, this conversation's ending because it's going nowhere. This is round robin. I share truth. You tell me something that you've read, and I'm telling you truth. <laughs> I'm not concerned about what some man wrote in some book. I'm telling you what God's Word says. Amen. And unless you're saved, you can't get this sometimes. You have to know what it says. Paul's pushing Timothy to be a man of honor and to learn these things. And so... Stay out of those conversations. In Proverbs 9, 6, and 10, 14, the Bible says, forsake the foolish. Now, if you forsake something, it has the idea of divorce it, to separate yourself from it. That's the word. When he says forsake foolishness, he's saying divorce yourself from foolish things. Stay away from, elude, stay away from this stuff. Same idea that he had in the beginning. And he says forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Stay away from foolishness, and you'll go in the way of understanding. That's very different, isn't it? And then God goes on to say this. Wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. How many of you have talked to us, a very foolish person at times, saying very foolish things, and you're like... And their reference point is themselves. 
Their reference point is what they know. Their reference point is some experiential thing. And the reality is, is God's word is fact. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> and listen, because someone doesn't believe what this says, doesn't make it untrue. <laughs> we just have to have this as our reference point. Why should I argue with them? If they've never read it, what do I have in common with them? If they're not going to let me show them what it says, how am I going to tell them who Jesus Christ is? Why am I going to argue with them over anything? That's foolish, isn't it? And Paul said, but foolish and unlearned questions, avoid. He said, knowing that they do gender strife, they're going to cause problems. You're going to get yourself in trouble. Tells us in Titus, Chapter 3, verse 9, but avoid foolish questions. Listen to me. Avoid foolish what? Questions. But the foolish and unlearned questions, avoid. The same thing, isn't it? And he tells Titus, and Titus he's saying the same thing that he just told Timothy. And, and, and you look at this, and he says, and listen, and genealogies, and contentions, and strivings about the law... For they are unprofitable and vain. So there's no gain to them, and they're empty. And the only thing that comes out of it is maybe you feel a little bit better that <laughs> I really put them in their place, didn't I? If that's our goal, it's useless. <laughs> if our goal is, is we want to win them to Christ, that's a different story. 1 Peter 2.15 For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. For so is the will of God that with well-doing, with well-doing you put to silence for doing the right things. So let's go back and look. And he said, listen, flee this youthful lust, but go after this stuff with intensity. What? Righteousness and charity and peace and faith. That's what you go after. And we're so busy going after the wrong things. These types of people... When you look at what Paul's saying, what they want to do is they want to birth controversy. They want to cause controversy. They want it to become controversial. And, and they cr create an environment of contention. And he said, listen, those people that are trying to do that, avoid the foolishness. If they're trying to create an environment of contention, avoid it. Stay away from it because it's unhealthy. A vessel of honor is this type of person. Prepared to serve the Lord. They come into the house. They built on the proper foundation. They're coming in. Utilizing the right resources. Now, how are they doing it? Well, they're coming in, and they're taking these things here, and they're saying, I want to be set apart for the master's use. I want to be prepared unto every good work. I'm going to flee this youthful stuff. I'm going to follow after the things God told me to go after, and I'll tell you what else I'm going to do. I'm going to stay away from foolish and stupid questions. Say, preacher, where are you getting this? Out of the Bible. <laughs> right out of the Bible. My challenge to you is, Let's try to win souls to Christ. Let's not get into foolish arguments with people. Let's do it based on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's do it based upon a pure heart. And let's start hanging with people that are doing right. And those that are not, stay away from them. Because they're only going to drag you down. Let's pray.